Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. It's a Friday afternoon in July, and in my home are Dale and Uni Larson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, Dale, you, you, our listeners can probably spell the name Dale okay, D-A-L-E, and Larson is spelled L-A-R-S-E-N, but Uni is spelled, if I'm saying this right, U-N-H-U-I. Correct, Yes. And Uni is um, Korean, Dale is Caucasian, and we'll talk about how they got together. But just an overview, we're going to hear another podcast from one of our gay LDS members that's brave enough to share his story. Dale is gay, and Dale is in his 60s. Um, they're both in their 60s, but if you could see a picture of them, they, look, they don't look like they're in their 60s. So you've lived a good life, you two. Thank you. And you look great. They have been married for over 40 years. They have four kids. They're both active in the church. They both currently serve as Ogden Temple workers. Dale has served as a bishop in a stake presidencies, returned missionary from Korea. But we'll kind of divide this podcast into a few sections. One is the beginning of really how this couple came together. And then they'll talk about this marriage, this beautiful marriage that's been going on for 40 years. And Dale coming to terms with his sexual orientation and how this couple has navigated this road. And then um, we'll kind of conclude that section with probably third section, which is Dale just coming out more broadly, um, especially as he's released from a stake uh, as a, in a stake presidency. We'll talk about a 10 stake panel that Dale was a part of where he talked about being gay to about 350 leaders in, in the Ogden area where they live. Um, we'll also have Dale give some thoughts about just it's some personal revelation he'd received in the last year or so about, you know, why he is gay and um, some really deep healing personal revelation he's received in the last couple of years. And as he shared that with me before we went live, I had some tears in my eyes. And I just think one of Dale's role here is to bring hope to our younger LGBTQ members where they can hear from somebody that's been on this road for a long time and has really wrestled with this and has had less probably support. Um, in society, in our church, and our younger people may have now. And I just think he's a hero and a trailblazer. But likewise, I think Uni is a hero and a trailblazer. I've sort of thought about these mixed orientation marriages, and I've thought, you know, sometimes we say, well, she's a real hero, the straight spouse, or he's a real hero, the gay spouse. But I think you're both equal heroes to make this work. And it's a it's a sacrifice for both of you, and it's difficult, and you know more about it than I do. But I think you help our listeners and so Dell's going to kind of conclude with advice for other couples or people considering this path that I think will be very helpful. And Dale offered a wonderful prayer before we started, and I just got a feeling of his good heart and good spirit. And um, anything that I've said so far that I need to correct on any of the facts or anything? No. No, you've done well. <laughs> so take us Take us back to Korea, Dale. You, I think you grew up in Utah in the Pleasant View area, which is around Ogden, yeah. and you were assigned to serve um, in South Korea mission. I was, yeah, South Korea Seoul mission originally, yeah, and ended uh, up in the Pusan mission. Did you? Yeah. I've heard, of, in fact, I've been to some of that area. That's a great area. And tell us about um, being in an apartment and seeing a church news story about a Korean family that joined the church. Let's start there. Yeah, we, um, I was in Yosu, South Korea, and there were um, four other missionaries there with us, 
and uh, our walls in our bedrooms had got mildewy and we decided to wallpaper the walls with something but to cover it up and we didn't have any paper any any money for paper so we had a box of church news that had been being sent to the missionaries over a period of time and we wallpapered the bedrooms just the bedrooms with uh, these church news got made us some wheat paste or uh, I think maybe it was rice paste and I think we just wallpapered the walls well right above my bed in South uh, in Yosu South Korea in my bedroom, I was on the top bunk, was a story about the Pak family and how they had immigrated to the U.S. and had been taught the gospel and had joined the church. And there was a picture of my now wife and her sister sitting on the front lawn of Weber High School. And so I determined that when I came home from South Korea, I would, I would go and, and meet that family. Um, in the process, another missionary went home a little bit earlier than I did a month earlier, and he sent me a letter back saying he had met them and that they sang at mission reports and at firesides. And so I got home on a Thursday. This was in June, and I uh, went down and asked to see them to ask them if they would sing at my um, my mission report on Friday, and. Um, uh, I went on Friday, the mission report was Sunday, but I went on Friday and they weren't there, but their dad said they would. I went back on Saturday to make sure the girls were okay with it. We then, they then sang at my mission report. Uh, and this same missionary who had gone home a month before me, he asked me to go on a double date with him. And as he asked me to do that, um, I had never been on a date. Um, I didn't, I was pretty nervous about going on a date. Uh, President Kimball had instructed us uh, as missionaries over in Korea to, that our number one responsibility was to get married when we came home. Um, I didn't know whether that would even work for me. Um, I wasn't admitting to myself that I was gay at that time, although of course I knew uh, deep down. And so um, he I asked these young ladies to come up to my house after the mission report and to eat with the family. And they did. And I looked at the prettiest one and the only one to whom I felt attra any attraction, which also happens to be the only one to whom I'm, I've ever felt any attraction in my life. And I invited her to go out on a date with w this date with me for the following Tuesday. And as we went on that date, it was um, this other missionary had invited another couple to come. So it was kind of a triple date. That couple was engaged to get married. And that couple, um, this fellow that went with us spent the whole time flirting with the fiance of the other fellow. And I ended up with two ladies on that date pretty much the whole night. And so I, of course, asked uh, Uni to go on another date with me. And by the second date, I was convinced that she's probably the only woman I will ever be attracted to and the only one that I can marry. And so I, in, I started talking marriage on the second date. Awesome. 
So if I've got the facts right, Uni's family joined the church in 1973. Um, you're on a mission in, and you come home in 1976 and get married in about 1977. And I think how, I hope all our listeners caught that, that how unique it is that here you are serving in South Korea and you see a church news article about a family from Korea, not living in Korea, living in Northern Utah. And you see your picture of your wife for the first time. That's not even, that's, I just find it interesting that you're in Korea. She's in America and you see her for the first time, even though you're in Korea and that leads you to be together. Uni, will you tell us a little bit about, I think you're in your late teens when your family joined the church and, and I, and just so our listeners understand, Uni's family did not join the church in Korea and then come to America like some we might assume you came to America for other reasons, for Utah for other reasons, and then joined the church. Just share with our listeners a little bit about your decision to join the church. Um, so the first time I uh, looked at the poster of um, the Mormon, the Book of Mormon, the Blue Book of Mormon, with the Moroni in Korea when I was about 14. I was going to junior high school, and there was a building. And you're in America now at 14. No, no, I, no, you're in this, Korea. Yeah, I'm still in Korea at 14 years old. And that's the first time I saw this um, a church, a Mormon church, was having some kind of meeting and they had a poster on the building. And I thought, oh, this church, Mormon church, is worshiping golden stature. So I thought, I don't want to do anything to do with this church. That's the first impression I had and saw the anything to do with the Mormon church. And after we came to America, we were Methodists. My, um, my, my mom was really strong and my grandma, all of my family were strong Christian. And after we came to America, uh, my cousin, my aunt's oldest son, he was the only LDS member at the time. And he introduced us to... Um, Return missionary from Korea, and that missionary spoke perfect Korean language and loved Korean people, loved Korean food, and came in, came over to our house and just helped all of us with the school and with the language and just just helping us without anything, you know, return. And he just said he was a Christian and served a mission in Korea and loved Korean people and wanting to help. And we became really good friends. And so about six months after, uh, we were going to Baptist church at this point with my family because we couldn't find any Christian church around our neighborhood. Um, it was about good 10, 20 minutes drive from our home, but we were making that trip every Sunday and none of us really liked that church. <laughs> we just went to it because that's the only church, Christian church we could find. And finally, about six months after, uh, we met um, Elder Elder White, and, and we asked him, so which church do you go to? Because we didn't see you at the church, our Baptist church. And he said, our church is right around the corner here. And he took us to the his church building, and and it was Old Far West First Word Church building, and it, 
my mom looked at it and go, there's no cross on top. So this isn't Christian church, is it? And, but the, the name of the church was, you know, written on the building. It says Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so he invited us to his church next Sunday. And so all the family, we all went to the church that next Sunday. And he told his members of his ward that we were coming. So they came out and just greeted us at the door, in front door, and we felt so welcome. And as soon as we walked into the building, all of us felt such a special feeling, special love, and just something that we never felt before. And we loved it. All of us looked at each other and go, wow, this is the right true church. Um, so then we decide to do the, you know, discussions with this um, Mr. Missionaries. And my mother was a very strong Methodist church member, and she had so many different callings. Um, she was very valuable in her church. Um, she had lots of friends. But about two years before we came to America, um, that church was dividing into three groups. They were fighting amongst <laughs> themselves. And my mother was torn because how could you fight with each other as a member of Christians? Um, so she decided to, uh, every day their different group comes and ask my mom uh, if they you know, if she could come join with their group, three different group. And she says, well, I need to pray about this. So she went up to our attic and was just a jug of water and stayed up there two days and just praying to see what she should do. And that's when she um, was shown a, a, like a dream that our family was on an airplane going somewhere. And... At that point, she looked out the window and she was seeing this. She saw this um, beautiful green hill with the white building. Um, she didn't know what it was, but the spirit told her that this is the true church that our family will be led to. And but that was it. And after we came to America, we were looking for this white building, but we didn't find it. And and then during the um, discussion, uh, the flip chart, one of the flip charts yeah. showed the, that Manti Temple, I think it was, the green hill with the white building, and my mother just got up, so that's the one she saw. And that's all it took us. And of course, How our, many people joined the church in your at family? At that time, 11 of us with my 11 grandma. 11 of you joined. Yeah, two aunts and, and the I children. I wonder how many missions have been served, oh, um, my, how many, my, what that posterity uh, one, is. Yeah. See, one to three of my sisters served the mission. They went back to Korea. My parents went and served the two missions in Korea, Temple Mission. Our kids have served missions. Yeah. All your co your cousins. This is just hundreds missions. and hundreds, and yeah. I love the yeah the personal revelation. Your mother or grandmother? My mother. Your mother yes. received. Is she still alive? Yes, she's eighty three years old. <laughs> and what a what a posterity she has. And um, I want to be sensitive to time because 
I yeah. just want to make sure to get into the core of the story here that at least for this podcast, although I could spend a whole podcast, I think, on your convergence story, <laughs> which is beautiful and faith promoting. And I love hearing that. And um, it just helps all of our listeners to know that God is with both of you and you coming together as we visited before. To me, it's not an accident. It's not random. It's not um, not a real marriage because you're gay. It's part of Heavenly Father's plan for both of you. And What's happened here, as you'll share more, is is part of Heavenly Father's plan. Um, so you get married in 1977. Um, did you come out to Uni as gay before you got married? No, I didn't. I actually, um, my way of coming out to her, and I don't know that we even talked about it after I said it, and I'm not sure how she even understood it, but it was basically, um, I'm... I don't think I had gone back to Korea for seven months while she made up her mind about whether she was going to marry me and stayed with a friend that I had, I didn't baptize him, but I had taught the gospel to him. And um, during that time, I was in love with this kid, even though he wasn't gay. And and, uh, he's the one that told me that I was gay. And so he, what he did is help me accept that uh, at least in part, um, by my, to myself. And so, um, when I, my wife finally had got an answer as to whether we could be married or not, I, she's the one that sent me a a letter and said, yeah, I got my answer, which was seven months after we were married or seven months after we had met and gone on that date. Um, or after I'd left to go, so it was actually 10 months later, and um, I came home that next day and then met my wife uh, at the airport. She was waiting for me when I got back. It sounds like that was not an inappropriate relationship with that man in Korea, but it sounds like it was a helpful relationship for you to understand this about yourself. Yeah. And in the 70s, that's probably pretty hard space to feel... I, most of the messages would not be positive about how you felt inside and who you were. No, I didn't. So I wouldn't maybe, acknowledge him to myself or to anyone else. So maybe there's way. a bit of healing there and that's helpful. Yeah. So think, when he told me two weeks after we got married about Hengel, that's his name, and yeah. how how much he loved him and that he, the way he told me was he was a bisexual is what I that the way I understood, and I didn't understand what that meant. I grew up with all sisters. <laughs> I have a baby brother, but I, I was very naive, and I took it at like, oh, David and Jonathan, what a beautiful. You can love men and women. That's beautiful. Yeah, what I told her was, <laughs> that's good. That's I helpful. don't think I can ever love you like I love Heng Yeo. But I thought, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you, the, the, the story of... Uh, David and Jonathan came to my mind at the point of that. That is a beautiful relationship. And I encouraged him to, you know, uh, what is it? Keep keep the relationship. relationship with him. Yeah. yeah. And how long did that sort of friendship continue? Uh, it was only a couple of years, and it was really painful for me. And so... As part of my own decision making, I decided not to continue to write back to him. 
and he didn't write back to me. And so I kind of lost track of him, mm -hmm. which has always been a sad spot for me. Did you feel like you could do this marriage knowing you had some feelings for this guy and you were gay and through through the did, through the just, dating yeah, and the period of dating that we went through I was worried that whether I could actually um become aroused by my wife but um and in a recent um uh post that I made in Facebook I basically put it this way I did discover that she had that power over me. And so I didn't even worry about it after that. I, I just went on with life. We were married um, on July 8th of 1977, and we had our first kid on April 10th, <laughs> 1978. So we were thrust into life. Uni, tell our listeners how many children you have and how many grandchildren you have. We have four children, um, three sons and a daughter, and 11 grandchildren. And how many of those 11 grandchildren live in Utah? So you can see them regularly. Oh, now they're all of them. They're all here. <laughs> yes. Well, Our daughter just moved up. And so, yeah, we have all 11. And that's a good thing. Oh, yes. We're not sure how that's going to work in our family. We're over two right now. In our, uh, so anyway... Um, so now you're you're married. Um, you're married pretty young. I think you're twenty. You're in your early twenties. Yeah, I was. You. I was twenty two, and she I was, was twenty one when we got married. Yeah. And then I assume you just got busy with church and career. One of the stories you shared, and maybe there's other one, stories you want to share, is wondering if you could stay in this marriage, and actually um, having an experience at a, at a recital that yeah. was very. Just share with us that experience, unless there's anything you want to share between getting married and that recital experience. I'll, I'll just kind of lead up to it with um, how things had, had came to where I was really struggling at a point. And um, I, my dad was a bricklayer all of his life, and he had his own construction business when I came off my mission. That's where I was working when we got married. And then he helped me as I began to start my own brick construction business. And there was a lot of building of homes at the time, a lot of brick to be laid on those homes. And uh, right after, the year after I had gone into debt to buy equipment and things for this business, I had uh, President Jimmy Carter got put in the presidency. And I'm not blaming him. I don't know all the things that went into it. But interest rates um, uh, for mortgage loans went up to 16 to 18%. And so housing pretty much stopped. And I ended up losing my business. I was stressed with how am I going to take care of my family. I had three little kids, uh, well, two little kids, I think at that time. And those um, we had just got into a new home and it was, it was really, really rough period of time. And at that time, these same sex attraction feelings just were overwhelming me. And the only person that I knew that, that knew anything or that was gay was, uh, an aunt, my mother's youngest sister. And so I talked with her and she helped walk me through and, she was actually living uh, with a, a girlfriend at the time and living in my grandparents' home while they were serving a mission. And so I'd go down there and speak and talk with them. And, and I eventually asked her if she could 
set me up with somebody, some young man that I could talk to about this. And so I did, or she did, and I made a, uh, an appointment to go up and meet with him. And I was going to, I, I uh, went up and checked into a motel and um, told my wife what I was doing. And uh, I went up and checked into this motel. And as I checked into the motel that evening, he, he came over and, and took me uh, with him to his um, sister, her, his youngest sister's dance recital at Box Elder, or at uh, Logan High School. And um, his whole family was there. And Is he about your age? Uh, he was probably a year older than me, maybe so two. You're both late 20s. Yeah, we're, we're both late 20s. And uh, he, I think he was still going to, to Utah State at the time. Um, and I don't even remember his name. All I remember is walking in front of his family while they were seated and feeling very uncomfortable. And I had an experience about halfway through this recital where... Were your, were your hopes to perhaps have a relationship with him or were you just wanting well, to talk to if, somebody yeah. that was kind of on your road my, or, or not sure? <laughs> what I was telling my wife and telling myself is that I just needed to talk to somebody about what what is his life like? What is that all about? But deep down, I think I did want some kind of a relationship and probably at that particular time was willing to do whatever that that, that meant. And uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't honest with everyone, especially myself. But I, in looking back, that's really what I was hoping for, I think. So, and I'm sitting watching this recital and uh, then I look over and see his sister and uh, his brother-in-law and their two children sitting there. And as I look at them, um, all of a sudden I see myself and my wife and my two children. And then a voice came into my head that said, if, if you continue down this road and you can, and you can be happy, then you will lose them. And I looked over and it was the first time I'd ever had the choice, really seen it for what it really was and where I was heading. And all the time I ever grew up as a, as a young boy and as I grew up into adulthood, my greatest desire was to have a family, to be married and have a family. And now I had that and I was on the verge of throwing that away. And after seeing that choice, um, after the recital, he took me back to the hotel and, or motel and I went inside, didn't let him in, called my wife. I, I think it was like 11 o'clock at night and told her I would be coming home in the morning that I had made my choice to stay in our marriage. Thanks for sharing that story. It just takes a lot of courage. I think in some way that's one of your finest moments, even though it was your most vulnerable moment. A lot of good men lost businesses during 18% interest rates, <laughs> doing the very best they can. And I could, I'm not clinically trained, but I could guess the emotional stress, anxiety, the feelings that us dads feel potentially as failure when we're not providing for our families. It would seem normal that some of that might spike. And, and I think as that spiked, 
um, it also brought to my attention that I'm broken, that I'm I'm not real. I'm not the person that uh, everybody thinks that I am. And uh, I was really struggling during that time to try and find a way. And um, all I could hear, to be honest, was the words um, of President Kimball from his book that I had read at 14 yeah. when it first came out. And um, and some of those words were not very complimentary. They, in fact, and those good brethren, I don't blame them. They saw how it didn't fit with the doctrine of the church. And um, so it had to be a choice. Or the, it's all it could be at being deceived and, and making choices. And uh, all that, that, that was painful and had, had been and has been in my life up until just recently in being able to let go of that. Yeah, I think that's just helpful. And I think, you know, I mean, just kind of, it's the perfect storm of everything coming together in a very difficult way. And I, I'm i glad, that, what a wonderful moment it led to that maybe gave you more perspective to stay. Maybe, even though I'm not recommending, and neither is Dale for um people that are wondering if that's their road to go sort of explore what Dell did. I do look at that as a deeply clarifying moment for both of you on what your path is and, and, um, and just the, the good soul that you are and your good wife who's probably praying and wondering how this works. <laughs> do you remember him calling that night and Sam coming home? Yes. Uh, but before that, it's like I almost, well, 12 hours gone by, I was on my knees and basically, um, well, at this point, I already talked to my bishop. Bishop recommended me to divorce Dale and move on with, with my life. I came home and knelt down and praying, and the two words came to my mind was uh, covenants that we made together at the temple. And the accountability that the Heavenly Father was kind of letting me know that I am accountable for Dale, <laughs> uh, whether I like it or not. And we made a covenant together in the temple. And that's um, those two words just keep coming to my mind. And, of course, our children and, and the reasons I fell in love with this man um, He's the first man that made me feel beautiful. I grew up as an ugly duckling in my family. My, be my beautiful siblings, they're all tall and beautiful, very talented, and I was always sickly and <laughs> short. And so I felt I was always not pretty compared to my siblings. And so, and after I met Dale, he made me feel I was very beautiful. And she he, was. She, she is. He showered me with such a powerful love that you know, I couldn't resist. And um, and then the spiritual experience that I had before I met him, and then seven months after after I praying that Heavenly Father told me that he's the one to marry. And so to me, heaven brought us together, and I 
you don't just back out because some things happen, you know, in your marriage and you stick it together. There's, um, I, when I was growing up in Korea, there's a Chinese character just stuck in my mind. It's a, a character for the human. It's like, like this. <laughs> this long uh, character and this short. This represents a man. This is a woman. And woman is a smaller character, but it's holding up the man. It's kind of like a tent with one, yeah. one pole leaning up against the other pole. And that represents a human being. And, and the woman's role is to hold up the man. <laughs> and I, I don't know, that always stuck in my mind. And um, the spiritual experience I had and, and all, of course, tender mercies of the Lord was played out throughout my life and which helped me to and I, and I think she, she also that night that I was going out with this young man um, uh, she later related to me that she was um, on her knees oh, during that whole night uh, <laughs> and having the, our two little kids with her too and in praying that I would change my heart well, I asked Heavenly Father to do his miracle to change your heart. But there's a phrase that a woman cannot change man because she loves her. I loves him. And man can change himself because he loves her. And I, I didn't really want to change him, but I knew Heavenly Father could do his miracle to change his heart. I'm just so touched by this story. I wish you could see um, Dale and Uni holding hands as they shared this really vulnerable <laughs> night. And I'm looking at Uni's hand on top of Dale's hand with her wedding ring. And I'm just thinking about this really vulnerable night in your late 20s with two little kids and that personal revelation you received. And the very best you could do to communicate what was going on. You were communicating during this time. Uni knew where Dell was going, maybe not everything about it, but enough mm -hmm. that you knew you needed help from Bishop mm -hmm. and from the Lord. And and maybe I think it's even okay in that story that you got advice from the Bishop you weren't comfortable about. I think that's yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. I think I've always felt when I served as a Bishop and Dell, you've been a Bishop, I tried to teach principles <laughs> versus direction. Um, I invited everybody, obviously, to keep their covenants and live the doctrine of the church, but I was always a little nervous to sort of recommend, like, should you go on a mission or not, or mm -hmm. should you get married or not, or divorced or not, and I just yeah. felt like that's something I want to help my member make a really good decision about, and probably if I were bishop in 1973 and you walked in and told me what you told me with the <laughs> understanding of 19, this isn't 1973, it's about 1980 or early 80s, I may have said the same thing, so I think... But I like the way you still turn to personal revelation. And uh, in some ways, I think even though this was a very difficult moment, this was a heroic moment for both of you. And I think sometimes those are the moments where our true colors need to shine. It's, And I think God would not want to shame you, Dale, for I think he, you know, if he saw that night unfolding for you, including going on this quote unquote date to the recital, I think he would want you to feel close enough with him and your heart open enough that you could have that revelation and that experience. So 
And then I think after this experience, you just kind of that ended in this discussion a little bit. You knew that wasn't your road. You were committed to the marriage. And you then spent 25 years serving the church. Yeah. I, it, High counselor, that, that state finance president. Yeah, that period took about four years for me to work through. That's okay. So and it was more than just a one It was person. more than just that. Even though my, my heart was determined to stay with the family, it was still difficult. And I went through some... And I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to do in the church. And I was kind of medicating myself uh, with some drinking and a few things like that. I, I wasn't going out and getting drunk or anything like that, but just enough to, to numb my feelings. And so it was, it was about a four-year period of time, and we were doing fine, but it was still a rough it's period honest. of time. Yeah. Well, Dale kept telling me to be patient with him, that he loved me more than anything in the world, and stick with him and... He wanted to be married and raise his family, and so... I love the way you described why you fell in love with Dale, because he made you feel so beautiful, and he, <laughs> and you knew he loved you. And, and we, she is, isn't she? She is. When <laughs> she knocked on our door, she's like, oh, you know, I don't know if Koreans just don't ever age, or if it's you in particular, oh, Uni, but... You're so kind. You, um, it's his uh, method. He tells me I'm beautiful every day, and... That works. <laughs> well, you for both me. look great together. So, just tell us more of your story. Okay, so um, after that four-year period, we had we had lost our home, uh, and when I say lost, we were able to sell it, but we or someone would just assumed it, and we didn't get any money out of it. And uh, kind of a, another little side story is that my dad had lent us money to help with that home, and. So that was a problem we were trying to work out. And we ended up in a mobile home, and it wasn't a very good place for us to be raising those kids. There was drugs and other kinds of things there. And we were, uh, it was during that four-year period, we finally got to a place where we had an opportunity to build another home. Uh, that was, I didn't think we could because we had, uh, had bankruptcy on the business and things, but everything worked out, and we built a home in North Ogden. And while uh, I was in North Ogden, I did all the brickwork. I did, we did all the painting. We did the electrical. We did the sheetrock. We did the uh, the roofing and the cement work and the framing. Uh, we did that with a couple of friends. I did that as well. And so the only thing we didn't do was the finish work and uh, the finish of the plumbing. And um, luckily, I had a brother-in-law that was an electrician that did all of that and helped us with that. And, and uh, that, that turned out to be, it was a very long process, working long hours. At the time I was working, I had got a job at uh, Thiokol and was working as uh, an inspector for them, and we were working 12-hour days, four days, four 12-hour days, and then we were off for 12-hour days, which meant that you would go, you would have six Sundays in a row where you could go to church, and then you would have six Sundays in a row where you couldn't go to church, and so that wasn't very helpful in bringing me to where I needed to be either, and slowly, though, Uni prayed for about that, changed. Uh, my schedule was able to change. I was able to go to church. Um, I was, I uh, 
we were paying our tithing finally, uh, fully, completely. And, uh, but I was still struggling with some things and I'd, I'd had this all my life. I'd had this love for other people. Um, I still feel it today, but during that period of time, I lost it. It was gone. And I think it's the spirit is what it is, but it, it was just that during that four year period, it just wasn't there. And um, I, I remember going into the bishop and we were going in, he had called us in for temple recommends and Uni went in and she met with him and she came out with her recommend and I went in and I just said, Bishop, this is where I'm at. And uh, I told him I didn't, I had had love for people, everybody, just a, an innate ability to love. And uh, I had lost that. And in that process of losing that, I had lost me and who I was. And he made me a promise. He told me, in fact, I just spoke about this in church just recently and got to thank him for this. But he told me, if you'll read the Book of Mormon on your own and together with your family, it will come back. And shortly after that, there was a Book of Mormon symposium up at Weber State. Uni, knowing what he had said to me, was trying to get me to go to that. I still wasn't feeling like I wanted to. We made an agreement. We met halfway. I said, if you'll go for a half a day, and then we'll go out and have lunch. Then I'll go with you. And we ended up staying the whole day. We didn't even have lunch. And it changed our lives. And we were reading the Book of Mormon with our family every night and reading on my own. And 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 within a real short period of time, that that feeling the spirit came back into my life and that love that I had for others would return. It was a, it was a beautiful time period to bring us where we needed to be and more dedicated, got temple recommends, started going back to the temple. And it was, uh, at that time that I got called to be an instructor in the elders quorum. And shortly after that, I got called to be a ward missionary and then the ward mission leader for the ward. And then I was called as the stake mission president back when they had those. And, uh, and then following that call, I was put on the high council and then called as bishop and then served in a bishopric after that and then was called uh, to serve on the stake presidency. So there was, like you said, about 25 years of me being fully engulfed in service to the Lord and the same-sex attraction feelings just, I don't know if I put them away in a corner or if the Lord just blessed me to not have that be an issue or whatever happened during that time. It wasn't an issue, and I thought life was going to go on happily ever after from that point. And, and you released from being in the stake pregnancy about 2009, about 10 years ago. Yeah. So you're released from being in the stake presidency in 2009, and on behalf of all of us, thanks for your service, both of you, for Thank you. the lives you've blessed and all these years of church service. And um, some of those, I'm sure you had callings during that time, and some of you were probably supporting your husband, Uni. So thank you on behalf of all of us for what you've done to help people come into Christ and and the service you've done. and. Um, talk about, you know, then 
Because I think a lot of our listeners would say, well, why would someone in their 60s come out in a podcast or in a Voices of Hope video that you've done with North Star, I believe, and in this 10-stake you know, training meeting, you know, here you are, you're... I think a lot of our listeners would say, what? And, and I think you'd probably say, not everybody needs to do what I do. Some people stay closeted, but I think it's helpful for our listeners to know why you needed to come out. So just kind of keep telling us your story, Dale. Okay. Um, after serving as in the state presidency um, on the, in fact, the, the very day that the state president uh, told us that we were going to be released the following February, this is October, um, he, uh, uh, he, he shared that we would be released and we had been told we would be called for a nine-year period of time but they had switched to when the general authorities come to conference. And so we were released at eight and a half years. And I immediately um, felt panic. Um, I didn't know why I felt uh, like I was having a breakdown. I didn't know quite what to do with that. And I, uh, um, all of these feelings that had been stored away for these 25 years just came rushing back. And I don't know whether that was Heavenly Father's way of, of saying, okay, I've blessed you over all these years and you've blessed other, others through your service. Now we need to work and, and help you come to a realization that, that this, that you've been hiding, that you've hated, that you felt like would keep you from the celestial kingdom. Um, we need to work through that uh, or what. But what happened to me is... I ended up in a, a kind of a really bad place following being released and over those next, that next year especially. And in that process, um, I, was, I was struggling. I was having thoughts of ending my life. That's um, honest. It's really honest. And, and I wanted to share one little thing that happened on the day that we were released uh, Elder Cook, Quentin L. Cook, came, and uh, in between the meetings where they were calling new state presidency members um, and us, uh, we were being going to be released. We came to our the state president's home, and we had lunch there. And after we had had lunch, Elder uh, Cook asked if any of us had any questions, and some of them were asking him questions, and and I felt this heavy weight of all these feelings having come back. And one thing we haven't mentioned to this point is that our oldest son is gay and that he had moved to New York and, and was struggling through his own issues. And here's a dad that has this issue and I don't even know how to help him. And That's all so these honest. things are, are throwing or piling upon me. And so I asked him about my son and talked to him and he shared how he had been a state president down in San Francisco and had helped so many of these um, young men who had gotten AIDS and trying to reunite them with their families. And he had tears in his eyes as he told me how difficult that was and how uh, so many families wouldn't take these young men back into their homes and how many of them they had to be with them on their last day and uh, of this life. And he... It was just a really tender moment. And then he talked about the tentacles of the priesthood 
going out and if I remain and, and grabbing my son and if I remained faithful to my covenants that I would have him. And it was a really profound moment. I didn't share that I had these feelings at that time, but I think that's okay. Yeah. And then as he's leaving, he walks down the seven stairs to get to the door to go out and he turns around and walks back up and he comes over and he gives me a really great big bear hug. And he says, your son will be okay and you will be okay. And then he, he laughed and I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if he remembers that, but it, it had such a profound effect upon me. And so I'm still struggling as this time happened after this time. And, uh, we got to December of 2011 and I had a special experience where the Lord had told me I know not only needed to address um, some issues I was having with pornography at the time, but also I needed to address some my same-sex attraction. And so my wife and I, looking through the internet, crying together and trying to find support somewhere, we eventually found North Star and found out they were going to be holding a, uh, uh, what they called a, uh, steering a steering committee at the time. And uh, they were going to hold that meeting on, on January 1st. And so we drove down and uh, that was the first people that I had ever met since meeting that young man that were gay that I knew that I had met, let's put it that way. And, and that we were able to meet uh, Ty Mansfield and realized that Ty Mansfield had actually been in our home before and were, was good friends with our oldest son who was in New York. And, and uh, that was helpful. Later, I made the choice to go to Journey into Manhood, which there were many parts of that that was so helpful to me and a lifesaver, a life changer, helping me to come away feeling like I was okay to be gay. And so to get to your question, after that happened, then the impression started coming from the Lord that I needed to talk to the state president about holding some kind of a training. Um, other people needed to know it was okay to be gay. And, uh, it, it, uh, and, and people's hearts needed to be changed. People's hearts needed to be touched. And I just felt that so strongly. And I, I mentioned it to the state president and a few months later, we talked about it again. And then uh, he went to the Area Authority 70 and asked if we could do it. And the Area Authority 70 said we could. We were just going to do it with our stake. And then the Area Authority 70 um, made the decision that he wanted to invite all 10 stakes of the region he was over. And... Uh, he invited all 10 stakes. So there was about 350 people in that meeting. And we just basically told the basics about our story. The panel we had put together, which was my stake president, Ty Mansfield, and myself, uh, we really didn't answer very many questions. We got up and shared a little bit about our story and the pain that we had felt. 
So um, just for our listeners, this is your own. You haven't moved. These are your people you've been with for 30 years. It, it's not only <laughs> this is your vision. not only the people in my state <laughs> that I've been with, but also I have interacted with many of these other state presidencies, too. And so a lot of people are coming to this meeting learning for the first time you're gay. You come out in this meeting as gay. I do. I come out in this meeting as gay, which is also I had invited my parents to attend and I had told them a few weeks before and which helped to change my parents' hearts. To be at this meeting. To be at this meeting and uh, ended up then also talking to my siblings and others about the fact that I was gay. So not only did I come out in a big way, I also then had to go back and and come out to all my kids and everybody everybody else. And the only one that knew of my kids at that time was my oldest son, and he mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, but it was all God-driven. I mean, it was impressions from God telling me what to do. And I've, I've heard so many of these podcasts that you've done, and so many of these good men and women saying the same thing, that personal relationship which I have developed with my Heavenly Father and with the Savior and they, they seem to give me one thing to do at a time. And if I follow through with that thing, then I get blessed and get more. And, and uh, um, still, at this particular time, I was still having a, a difficult time. And uh, uh, luckily, I had this beautiful wife of mine that was still sticking with me and supporting me and doing everything she could to try and help me. I think we probably had more arguments during that time than we had most of our lives during that short little period of time. But uh, uh, she never gave up. She, she wouldn't. Well, I didn't. It, it was the tender mercies that got me through those days. And um, when he came and told me that he's struggling again, <laughs> after 25 years, you know, and I thought, oh, well, can I do this again? I'm in my 50s, and <laughs> how do I? Anyway, I so, of course, I nailed down and pray, and, oh, that's the day. I, I was in a state Relief Society presidency, and we were supposed to go to the temple that day, and I told Dale, you're not worthy to go to the temple <laughs> with these feelings. <laughs> And he said, I haven't done anything bad or, you know, committed sins or anything, so I'm worried to go to the temple. So he said, we are going to the temple. And okay, so at every most times we go to the temple and we usually stand in a prayer circle and I thought, there's no way I'm going to do this today. <laughs> we're going to go to the temple, but we're on, I'm not going to get up. Lo and behold, he gets up. And so I got up, and of course I was in agony, and I was in I was in anger, and of course I was praying the whole time. And as we got up to stand in the circle, and he grabbed my hand, and that's when I felt such a strong love. The Heavenly Father was like blanket of love, hugging both of us. He was between us and says, you can do this. I'll be with you and I'll help you through. And 
that's what it took for me to soften my heart and to go on and work our marriage. And then um, it wasn't easy even after that. He kept having these thoughts of suicidal and and I was always worried about that part. I, you know, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> and you hear that more and, you know, several times. And when I was praying, um, Heavenly Father made me feel that I'll, you'll be okay. No matter what happens, I'll take care of you. You are just fine. You'll be fine. So I told him that. I said, Go ahead and whatever you want to do, go do it. I'll be just fine. <laughs> That's what it took. And he never ever brought that up. And yeah, those feelings were those feelings were powerful. I think one of the things that kept coming into my head, um, and Satan plays a big role in that. He tells you she'll be better off. You, she should have never, you should have never married her. She will be much better off with somebody else. And you're not going to make it to heaven anyway. And um, you might as well be who you truly are. And how can you go through your entire mortal life, never experiencing love the way that you were built? Those are the kind of things that, that were in my head. And then on top of that, one of the things that Eller Cook had told me was that this will not be part of us in the next world. And that those feelings would be, these feelings would be removed. And um, I'm not sure that was helpful. And, and the reason I don't think it was helpful, I know it was intended as being helpful, but during these periods of time of suicide, I, I really thought that I'm not going to get there anyway. Even though the Lord has blessed me all, all along, I still had this deep shame about myself, and I couldn't seem to get rid of that. And I felt like I'd be better off to get in a world where the feelings are no longer there than to stay here, and she will be better off. But what kept me from ever going through with that was the people that I knew it would hurt and recognizing everybody that I had had influence with or over or around and, and how would my grandkids grow up knowing that their grandpa had done that. And, and I just, that's what kept me. And then when she said what she said, uh, go ahead. The Lord's told me I'm going to be okay anyway. It it was like uh, a course correction. It was almost like somebody grabbed my shoulders and jolted me back onto the path. And this is not something to even consider. Let's just get on with working through our lives. This is just so helpful. I'm thinking of the two jolts now. You've talked about the, the recital. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, not that I'd recommend this sort of get to the edge to get jolted back, <laughs> but you got jolted back at the recital and you got jolted back when you were, you know, pretty serious about suicide. And and I love so many parts of this story. I've, um, and I think it just stands on its own. But a couple of things that stood out to me is when you decided to go to the internet to get help and sort of take on your same sex attraction, you brought your wife into that conversation. Mm 
and you both went and did that together. And I think that's part of your beautiful love story. You didn't say, well, this is your deal to fix. You probably said that at time. And, and you, uh, Dale, didn't say, well, I'm just going to kind of solve this on my own. But I think that's part of a marriage and part of the covenants. You've mentioned covenants a few times, and Elder Cook mentioned that with your own son. And I believe there's great power in the covenants. Which temple were you married in? We were married Ogden. in the old Ogden Temple. The old Ogden Temple, not the Manti Temple. No, no. <laughs> you probably that thought was about mother's. that. That was her mother's, mother. not ours. <laughs> well, um, let me tell you why we married in Ogden Temple. The original goal was to marry in a Salt Lake Temple, like his parents wanted us to, but because I was the first one to get married in my family, a whole ward wanted to come to the temple ceiling, and most of them are older you know, people and who helped my family through our first years and stuff. And so Bishop told us, you know, you can go visit Salt Lake Temple later in your lives, but this time think about the others who will be coming. <laughs> so, so good. Are you, after all this, you're the first one married. You described yourself as... Um, not the prettiest sister, but you got married first. And, yeah, and, and my sister was on her mission. dad was a little uh, was a little. Um, it was hard for him to give his blessing because he wanted his oldest daughter to, to be come. get married first, which was kind of tradition. And he also wanted his kids to marry in the same uh, race. race. Right. And so that was that was hard, but. He, he even said, he sat me down and he said, do you know she can't cook, she can't do this, she can't do this, she can't do this. And none of that mattered to me. None of that mattered to me. I love the story behind the Ogden Temple. I love Elder Cook. I love you being honest about suicide. As I've met with so many, and you know this, Dale, the, the idea of just you know, leaving this life to leave the pain. Often it's just about, it's not wanting to hurt others. But it's the pain and the shame and the brokenness. And I liked when you talked about Elder Cook and how helpful he was to you in healing. But I think it's okay to say that part of what he shared with me wasn't helpful. I yeah. think that's okay. And I've learned that that is something that can be really triggering for our younger LGBTQ youth that are doing everything they can to be straight. And they've kind of got this final ace in the hole that they'll be straight in the next life. And I think our leaders haven't said that for a while. I think they recognize there's a link there. Um, so we're being more sensitive. And that's just part of, you know, sensitivity training, perhaps, that this podcast helps everybody do. Um, but I love, I, I think it's good for you to share why you decided to stay, because I think a lot of people that are suicidal actually want to stay. And so when you talk about, you know, what happens if, I think one of the ways to stay is, for those that are suicidal, think about what happens after you leave. Um, you know, what are how are your grandchildren going to feel? How is your wife going to feel? How are people you were a bishop over or people you served with? And and it's just sort of transferring all your pain to other people. And I think it doesn't eliminate your pain to sort of go down that road, but it may just keep your analytical, logical mind in the game yeah. enough to get you through that. Yeah. Talk about... Before we went live, you shared some really tender things about um, feeling an impression to get a blessing from your stake president. And then um, just tell us about that. Yeah. And, and just before I do that, um, Uni had an experience that I think was life-changing to her when um, 
she had a dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I think if you'll share that, that I think that had more impact on me than probably anything to that time. Um, okay, so those during that period of time, I was praying to Heavenly Father, what about me? Um, of course, all these uh, experiences. I think that's a good prayer. <laughs> I think we should pray about what about me, <laughs> even though we're in a marriage and yeah. thinking about the other one. I think it's a great prayer. Um, and then I was shown a, like a dream or I don't know what it was. I think it was like a dream and vision kind of thing together. <laughs> um, we were both kneeling at the Savior's feet. And I didn't look up to see his face. I We were just both kneeling at his feet. And he gave us a backpack. And he says, which one of you will take this burden to carry? And I knew exactly what it was. And I thought, not me. I don't want that burden. And Dale didn't hesitate. And he said, um, I'll take for both of us. And he took the backpack. And that really helped me to see from the you know whole point of view and that he was willing to take this burden for both of us. And he loved me so much that he, and that's the kind of guy he is. He, he would take the burden off of me if he can, every time. I remember uh, she sharing that with me and... Um... The other part of that is that the other one, even though they didn't take the backpack, they still are sharing in the burden. And she's been the most amazing, amazing person um, and wife and mother and grandmother um, and sister in Zion, she's never faltered in her beliefs or in her strength or in her faith. And the fact that she had that opportunity to see us um, as be supposed to be together, as we've already talked about, and then one of us taking a burden that the other one didn't know if they could take, but then the other one has to be the one that sits up and takes on that role of supporting and loving and being hurt and all the things that go along with that. And she's, she's done that amazingly. Now my stake president, we, we just recently had a, a, a new change in the stake presidency a few years ago. Well, maybe only a year ago, I think a year ago in August and the stake President is a wonderful man. In fact, Uni and I later we we held firesides at our at our ward for those that were LGBTQ and invited them to come. We always spoke on the Savior, and and uh, it was sanctioned by the Area Authority seventy. And we had him speak, and we had others come and speak. And and uh, during that that process of of doing all that, this fellow who's now been called to be our stake president, uh, um, he uh, actually came and represented the stake. He was on the high council at the time and represented it two or three times during that time that we were doing those firesides. And 
and I just knew, I knew him. I knew he had a great heart. I'd, I'd known him when he was a, his, a bishop and I was in the stake presidency. And, and when he was called to that, um, shortly after, I got an impression that I should call him and make an appointment and go talk with him and ask him for a priesthood blessing. And I, I know how busy stake presidents are, especially at the beginning. There, it feels like the calling is driving you instead of you driving what you're supposed to do in, with the calling. And I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to add to his burdens, but that impression kept coming. And um, that was earlier this year. I was down, in fact, it was February, end of January, February, and I was in California for my work. Um, and I was praying to, to Heavenly Father and saying, listen, I just, one thing that I've taken on over the last six months, a therapist shared with me is having a warrior prayer. And this warrior prayer, to me, it's like in Moroni, where I think it's chapter seven, where they talk about praying with real intent and being really forthright and 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 speaking how you feel and asking pertinent questions and then uh, seeking answers to those questions. And so I was asking him, how did I, um, how come I've got, I've got this attraction? And not only how come do I have this attraction, but is, did you know, did you know that this attraction was gonna be part of my mortal journey? And uh, the very first thing that came to my mind was I asked you to get with your stake president and have a, uh, ask him to give you a blessing and you haven't done it. So I got up and I called the stake clerk and I arranged it and then I got back on my knees and I asked Heavenly Father again, how did I get this same sex attraction? Why did why do I have it? And it was a real intent with real intent. It was as if he was sitting right by me and we were having this talk and I was firmly saying, listen, I need to know this for me. And as I finished that prayer, Heavenly Father brought into my mind the thought of go look at Facebook. That's not usually what you would think Heavenly Father would do, but... <laughs> I opened Facebook and at the very first, the post that came up was a post by, uh, a, of a video of a presentation that was done where um, Gregory Prince was the, the speaker. And he was talking about a book he was working on, the research he had been be doing and that it was gonna be coming out in April or May. And, and uh, I don't know where this presentation was done for sure, but, uh, I listened to it, and as I listened to it, he talked about some um, scientific things that have been taking place where uh, they're, they're coming to understand a little bit about how same-gender attraction comes to be. And he talked, talked about epigenetics and the role that it played on the fetus in imprinting upon the brain uh, at that point first trimester, the sexuality of the individual and talked about testosterone and, and receptors and things and how that played. And as I listened to that, um, by the way, his book is out if anybody wants to read it now, but 
as I listened to that, the Spirit said, that is how same-sex attraction happened for you. And I was also led to understand that that was for me. It wasn't that that necessarily was what took place for everybody, but it was how it took place for me. And then he made it known to me that um, I was just as he intended and that it was just as we agreed upon, and which removed that last piece of shame that I had been holding on to for all of these many years, thinking I was still broken and unable to be who I need to be and able to be real. And as, as you've said so many times on your podcasts, I'm able to belong and be okay with who I am. And if others aren't okay with it, then they've got some work to do, but I'm okay with that. And I am, and as my sister put it, you can now just be Dale. <laughs> you know, I think there's probably listeners walking or riding or driving that are in tears with what you've both just said. Uni, your personal revelation about that backpack and that Dale took that backpack and then your personal revelation about just repeating the words, you're just as I intended and and how we agreed upon. And I obviously referring to the pre-mortal life. Yeah. And that fits with our beautiful doctrine of our understanding of a pre-mortal life. And I think these very personalized missions that we all have and as I've given priesthood blessings to LGBTQ people, I have felt a similar feeling of God just kind of taking someone to the edge of mortality and talking about a few roads and and a deep impression in some of these blessings, just the wording you shared is this was something that was a joint choice um, because of your ability to be refined and grow, both of you, and to bless so, so many people's lives. And now to share that more openly for our younger members who need to get to the spot where you have. And it takes so much courage to, but what you've done is you've turned to God and you've turned to your priesthood leaders. And there's just this consistent theme of prayer and consistent theme of temple and consistent theme of covenants. And those are, you know, just wonderful things for all of us and, and navigating a pretty complicated road and realizing that perhaps at times the institutional church couldn't answer all your questions. And maybe that's okay <laughs> for us. Um, it's the restored church, but it may not have the every answer to every question. And so one of the things I think you're teaching is the importance of personal revelation and the temple. And and I just love this word. You're just as how I intended you be. Something didn't go haywire. Yeah. Um, some, he's not doing a head a face palm up in heaven saying, oh, what happened? My wonderful son, Dale Larson, is gay. Um, I don't think God's capable of being surprised. No, so, and so this is who you are, and, and you're helping us understand that, which is so helpful for all of us. I'm just so touched by this part of the story. Um, share more as in closing. Yeah, and um, maybe it's advice for other couples at this point. Yeah, I, I just, um, I want to say that 
the fact that Uni and I have been able to be married, uh, there's two pieces to this that I think is really important. It's not been easy to be married, but it's not easy in any marriage. And the first piece is don't ever give up on the opportunity to be married. That's between you and your Heavenly Father. And if it's to be, He will direct you. So be open to it. And then that opportunity, He'll help make things happen for you to be able to be where you need to be to make it happen. And then the second piece is, if that's not His intent for you, then you need to come to that understanding with him too and come to a place where you know that that's how he sees you and that you are exactly as you're supposed to be. And when you make choices, like our oldest son has made choices that has has taken him away from church participation, but he's such a good, kind, loving, talented musician and he he writes musical theater he teaches at NYU and That's and cool. he struggled with trying to have uh, a relationships that are that are good and and been unable to have that and we just pray for that and that he can find someone that he can be happy with and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that has to be a woman just somebody that the lord can bless him with so that he can find some joy and he's really struggled and i i sense so many out there struggle with that that feeling of not knowing that they are just as god intended and there are a myriad of voices out there that are saying the opposite many who come from wonderful church members who mean well who grew up like I did in an era of the church where the understanding we have today was not the understanding we had then. And those good brethren and members of the church that are still hanging on to those feelings, um, they need to eventually come along, but we got to give them patience and time and love and encouragement and one by one bring them along, which is what I think this podcast does. And then I I also want to say something. Um, There are many of my friends, I know know a hundred or more couples that are married and are making it work, and most of them are quiet. Mixed orientation marriages. Mixed orientation, and they're quiet, and they don't come out, and they don't make it known. And I also know a number of them. Um, that have not been able to make those marriages work. And it just pains me, especially when I consider them my dear friends. But that path is not directed by me. It's not directed by your parents. It's not directed by church leaders. It's directed by God. And you need to make sure you include him in those decisions. And then whatever he's asking you to do, whether it's to step away from the church from the church for a while, whether it's that this marriage is not, it's accomplished what it needs to, and now you need to find another way, or whether it's that you can't, uh, my my uh, plan for you or our plan that we created was that you would not be married in mortality, and whatever that is, make sure it's to God that you're turning, and 
take on that challenge of learning how to pray with full intent. And if you don't feel like praying with him full intent, then do a gratitude prayer till you do feel like praying with real intent. And it'll work. And slowly you'll build that relationship with your Heavenly Father that nobody can break that relationship. It's really powerful advice. It's just as wonderful as thoughts has ever been shared on this podcast, Dale. And I'm thinking of something back in the podcast where someone gave you some advice, and I don't think you used this phrase when we went live, to live your truth. Yeah. And I think I hear that, and I would say you're living your truth right now in this marriage. So I think sometimes we hear that you've got to live your truth. That means you've, if you're gay, you've got to find a gay partner and that's the way you live your truth. But I would caution people (laughs) that to just like you're doing to say, work with heavenly father to live your truth. Um, Don't let society tell you what your truth is. Let heavenly father tell you what your truth is. And if you're married, let your partner help you find out what your truth is and So you are living your truth. You're not being fake or not being true to yourself by not being in a same-sex partnership. You are living your truth, whatever that means. Right. And I I think Satan likes to share the opposite. But if you build that relationship with God, that true relationship, don't tell him what to do. Instead, ask him what he would have you do. Ask him pertinent questions about you. Ask him if he knows you. Ask him if he knows that you were you would be gay. Ask him those questions. He'll answer those questions and dispel all that Satan throws into your mind. And, and then you come to a place where Uni and I are now, where we are definitely living our truth. And we're so grateful to be together, so grateful to have raised a good family, a beautiful family who we love. And... Uh, now have these grandkids that brings all that more joy and and uh, looking forward to retirement in a few years so that we can serve missions and continue to serve in the temple. Uni, do you have any more thoughts before we sign off? Um, to me, any marriage, you got to have Christ at the top, triangle. It doesn't matter what marriage you're into. You have to, in order to survive and thrive and in your marriage, you got to have that triangle relationship with Heavenly Father and your husband and wife. And when my our son came out to us and um, after his mission um, about his homosexuality and his children to live that life, I was very torn because I had two <laughs> in my hand. And I was, at the time, I was um, um, pianist and organist for our, our ward, and the a chorister gave me a song um, for next uh, the Sunday. This was Saturday. I was home alone for some reason. There was gone, and I thought, okay, I usually go over the songs for the uh, Sunday, and this one particular hymn. Hymn 123, O may my soul commune with thee. As I was uh, going over this song on a piano, the Spirit told me to sing sing out loud. And these verses really helped me through. 
that time and continue to do so. If if I may, I, I would Please like to do. read these verses. It's a short psalm, but him, but. Okay, verse one, it says, O may my soul come in with thee and find thy holy peace from worldly worldly care and pain of fear. Please bring me sweet release. And verse two, O bless me when I worship thee to keep my heart in tune that I may hear thy still small voice and Lord with thee commune. Verse three, which has got me really... Um, Help me through. And for me in thy quiet hour, and gently guide my mind to seek thy will, to know thy ways, and thy sweet spirit find. Lord, grant me thy abiding love, and make my turmoil cease. Oh, may my soul commune with thee, and find thy holy peace. And even all those chaotic lives you have, you can find a peace in the Heavenly Fathers, and He comforts you through the Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. And you cannot survive this world. I don't care who you are by yourself. You have to rely on the Lord, and He will be there for, for all of us. It's beautiful, Uni. Any closing thoughts, Dale? I just want to thank you, um, I, it was a few months ago that I, I came across the first podcast, and uh, I've listened to all of them. I'm listening wow. to all of them again, <laughs> and I, I have to Thank travel you. to work every, to Salt Lake every day and back, and, and I listen to them as I'm going and uh, coming back and intersperse them with sometimes with the conference talks and things, but... Um, I don't know how to thank you for the kindness and the good that you're doing for the members of this church. And I just hope it goes broader and broader and broader and people get to hear the stories and not just with LGBTQ, but with suicide and with depression and with faith crises and all of those all of those things coming home from a mission early and all the things that cause people so much pain and shame in being able to hear their stories it just opens people's hearts it opened my heart and uh, i'm grateful that you allowed us to come and be able to participate and now I've done the sec the last thing that the Lord has asked me to do, <laughs> and so we'll see where we go from here. <laughs> well, Dale, that's awfully kind of you. Um, I'm just so lifted by, you know, you two are the heroes. I think this podcast is a chance for me to bring story your stories. So when people say they love the podcast, it's because of the guests mm. and their courage to come and share. And I'm just so honored to be in this space where. Um, I can bring voice to everybody, and I love the list of things you went through. When we named the podcast on a long morning walk, listen, learn, and love, I want it to be broader than just LGBTQ, but the LGBTQ stories are, this, are the podcasts we get the most listens generally, and I just recognize there's a craving in our church right now for from everybody to hear stories like yours, because I think we recognize we need to do better. And we don't quite know how to do that. I didn't <laughs> until I started listening to, I mean, I just couldn't learn how to do better by talking to straight people telling me how to do better. I had to listen to LGBTQ people. 
And that certainly happened for me. And the last thought that came to my mind, and you didn't directly teach us, but I think you did, is that God loves you. And so if some of you are thinking, well, I'm not temple worthy anymore, or I'm in somewhere where I shouldn't be, so I'll have to wait till I get temple worthy, and then I'll ask God to help me. Don't do that. I think one of the things that you're both shaking your heads, no. you're agreeing with is somehow, that's not our doctrine, but somehow culturally, or we've assumed that because mm-hmm. we talk about worthiness rightly so, but if you're listening and saying, well, I'd love to have the kind of experiences Dale and Uni have, but I'm not temple worthy, and I've really messed up, and I'll have to get myself temple worthy, and then I'll start praying again. On behalf of all three of us sitting here on this table, don't do that. God loves you just where you are, and He wants to work with you right where you are. And don't look in the mirror and just see all the things you've messed up with. Look in the mirror and see yourself as a daughter, son of God, who by that nature as a daughter, son of God, is worthy of their love and worthy to call and ask prayer and worthy to be helped. He's just not going to help you once you sort of got back on the path. He's going to help you right now. And you talk about Satan's lies a lot, Dale, but one of Satan's lies would be that, you know, he's not going to help you until you help yourself back. And so that's my closing thought. And um, But thank you, Dale and Uni Larson, for being on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love on this hot July Friday afternoon. <laughs> and um, And thank our listeners especially for joining us. And I agree with Dale. We we hope this podcast um, in, continues to increase in reach. We think about seven to 10,000 people listen to each episode. And, and so we appreciate all you're doing to share it with other people and engage others by whatever you feel impressed to do. And we sign off for another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.